This podcast may contain language and subject matter that some people could find offensive. Please do not listen to this podcast if easily offended. Otherwise, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast. On the show today, we'll be interviewing the nicest and most lovable chap in the Falling Star Wrestling Academy. He's had quite the life prior to jumping into the world of pro wrestling, from dancing around in a minion costume to singing songs all across the UK. The man is a born entertainer, and we're super stoked to have Danny Fear on the show today. Hello, I'm your host for the show today. As always, my name is Patrick Vincent Crown, also known as PVC, and I'll be joined on the line by my co-host, tag team partner and best buddy, Jimmy Starr. Danny and Jimmy will be on in just a second, but before we jump into the interview, I need to remind you about Falling Star Wrestling's next show. It's our annual Christmas show, the seventh annual Christmas extravaganza, and it's taking place on Saturday, 17th of December, just eight days before Christmas Day. So, What better way to treat yourself and your loved ones to an early gift by coming to see the stars of Falling Star Wrestling? The Westland Sports and Social Club opens at 1.30pm with the show starting at 2.30pm. Please note the earlier starting time. We already know that myself and Jimmy, the disaster artist, will be taking on all challengers in a Christmas bash match. Jack Landers and Jaden Scar will be taking their heated rivalry to the next level and will face each other one on one. It's going to go off. We also have our yearly Christmas rumble this year. We have a very special theme which has been teased on social media. The clue is like looking in the mirror. What could that be? I guess you'll find out on the 17th. To continue making this a five-star podcast, we need your help. Please pop on to wherever you listen to this podcast and drop us a cheeky five stars. The more stars we get, the bigger this podcast can grow. To achieve this, we need your help. All right, that's enough. Let's jump into the reason you're here today to hear myself and Jim interview Danny Fear. All right, on the line, we have a member of the Falling Star Wrestling Academy, a man you would have seen and heard in the ring, but isn't quite known for his wrestling prowess just yet. I am, of course, talking about a man that's donned the black and white striped referee outfit and also stepped into the ring on more than one occasion as master of ceremonies. We know you love him. He's fun. He's happy. He's adorable. It's Danny Fear. Danny, welcome to the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast. And I just wanted to start off by talking about your introduction to Falling Star Wrestling. When did that happen and how did you first get involved with FSW? Thanks for having me on for a start. Thank you. Thank you for putting me in on this. Yeah, no, Falling Star Wrestling. It all started, the thing was me and Toby, my my tag team partner, we we had a long conversation about wrestling. We've been long-term fans for quite a while. And we just got to the stage of wrestling where we was like, we kind of understand what's going on a little bit here. You know, we, we know what it is. We know the storytelling aspect of it. And uh, in I think it was 2019 we started looking at academies and places to train and where to get in and obviously the global pandemic happened so we we got postponed a little bit but um actually ironically through my uncle that we found falling star wrestling which was through our other MC which was of course Robbie Lewis and uh, yeah he, he set me up and they put me in contact with the right people and yeah we turned up we had our first few 
sort of goes at it. And yeah, we fell in love with it from there again. We just we fell in love with the learning process really again. It was nice to see what what we thought it was and then what it actually is. So when you went, obviously, to be involved in wrestling, as immersed as you're getting, you must have had a an interest before. When, when did you actually start taking notice of wrestling? What was the first wrestling you remember watching? Wrestling... Wrestling didn't really come into my life until my later years, really. I remember the earliest memory I have of wrestling was when John Cena was feuding with the Nexus, which was, goodness only knows what year. But it was literally, it was just on the telly one day. I went downstairs and saw it on the telly and I looked at it and it was just this thing of, wow, that's so creative what they're doing. It's the thing of... They're telling a story through this medium that really it's, it, you wouldn't normally expect that to be the way to tell a story. I took it from there and I never really thought too much about it. And obviously the Nexus lost their WrestleMania thing and that really turned me off it a little bit because I, everyone and their dog knew who John Cena was. We all went, yeah, cool, it's John Cena. Oh, they're trying to get the new guys established. And then it went the other way. So again, I fell out with it from there. But I eventually, I think it was around the 2017 mark, is when I really fell in love with wrestling. And it all started really with a little bit of the TNA AJ Styles run, really. He he moved into SmackDown and I went, oh, wow, that guy I used to really like just popped up in WWE. And obviously he went on an absolute tear in 2017. I believe that was the year he actually won the belt from Jinder. And- yeah, I remember he had a very good first year. Yeah, he had a... He had an amazing first year. That's the thing about AJ Styles. A majority of his of some of the amazing moves and things, and his athlete, amazing athleticism was seen in in TNA. By the time he got to WWE, he was he was quite he was not old, but an older man, probably in his sort of mid to late thirties. The AJ Styles that we've got now, I do think, is the best version of AJ Styles you're going to get because you've oh, got really? the amazing storytelling ability. He's got a much better look and he still does some cool moves. But if you have only ever seen AJ Styles in WWE, it's definitely worth looking at his TNA work because he's got about 10, 12 years there of amazing matches. And he was just, yeah. even he was phenomenal, whoever he was against. And I know phenomenal is the, sorry, is a pun, but he was fucking great. A, AJ Styles is, I agree, is something special. He's definitely someone who's going to get your... Without a doubt, going to go down as one of the best to ever do it. He's just an absolute master of not just in-ring ability, but like you say, as, as well as storytelling and just general performance ability to take you on these masterful stories. When I go back and sort of went back into wrestling, I went through the indie route. So again, I watched a lot of the old TNA stuff. And I remember the first match that really made me sit there and go, wow, that's something special was the, uh, the triple threat with him, Samoa Joe and Christopher Daniels, which is just an absolute masterpiece. Absolute masterpiece. Have you ever seen that one, Shawnee? Yeah, I feel like that's a bit of a gateway drug for younger kind of indie fans to get into wrestling. They see that match and they just go, I didn't realise that these three people could craft this masterpiece within the ring. And there was the allure of the the six-sided ring, which I think always astounded people as well. And that was, it was a positive and a little bit of a detriment for TNA because they were known as that, oh, they're the six-sided ring guys. But that match was just so incredible because I think a lot of people expected Samoa Joe just to be the guy that caught everybody, but he was just doing as much flying as the other guys and it was just such an intricately sort of planned match and they were doing stuff that just nobody else were doing especially in WWE at that time they were just so highly innovative and it was just 
it just made your jaw drop and that wasn't even the main event and that was like for the X Division belt and it was just like okay we need to keep an eye on that and going back to your sort of thoughts on AJ Styles like I I always thought AJ Styles would be the indie darling for the rest of his days and I never thought he would actually make it to WWE and when he finally made it there I just thought okay he's gonna come in for a cup of coffee he's gonna do his little bit he had a little rivalry with Chris Jericho over that Wrestlemania period he'd come in for a couple of rumbles or whatever but then when he went on to actually main event these matches and he was having good quality maybe sort of less exciting matches than he was having in TNA, but he was having WWE quality matches. I think back to a couple of matches he had with Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns at that time for the title. They were just great matches because he had honed his craft within TNA and ROH and on the indies and stuff like that. He got all the athleticism out of the way and then he just focused on the storytelling. And I think that's just an amazing thing about AJ Styles. Yeah, and that three-way match, going back to that quickly, just to put my oar in, but the, the, that particular match, the three-way matches are so hard to actually make sense, and especially if you're known for the kind of wrestling that those, especially Christopher Daniels and AJ Styles were known for, that more high-risk, high-flying match. With Samoa Joe in there and those two guys in there, by that time, they, there was so much experience in that ring. Like they'd all done their time, especially Christopher Daniels, in terms of the psychology and knowing how to put a match together. So not only did that match have the huge, high-flying, crazy aspect to it, they had time to tell a story, an actual story, and three ways just so hard to get some kind of story across. But that was what was amazing about that match. It had such an amazing fusion of styles. And it told a great story. Very fucking hard thing to do in a three-way match. It's definitely a match for fans of wrestling and up-and-coming wrestlers to to try and study because if you can pull anything close to that off, then you're doing well, you know? Yeah, no, that, that match in particular, like I was saying, the, the thing is with triple threats, you normally end up with one guy rolls to the outside and they have a moment to recover and then you get the one-on-one moment. And that's always good. There's always a good moment. But in that match in particular... It just didn't seem to have those moments. Even if it did have that moment, it wasn't it wasn't so standout that you didn't notice the rest of the match. They really did put it together so well. And the thing was, they was all on this level playing field. Of each one was as talented as the other, and everyone went in with an equal opportunity to win that belt at the time. It was just incredible. But yeah, that that match in particular was the match that made me go, this is something I want to do. That's awesome. Would you say that one of those guys in TNA was a particular sort of favourite wrestler at that particular time? Or did you have your eye on other companies at that time, WWE? Is there somebody that stands out to you as your kind of favourite wrestler? Like you say, the thing is, is I'm sure every wrestler and every wrestling fan always has this debate of your favourite changes all the time. To to pinpoint one favourite wrestler is so difficult, but definitely at that time was AJ Styles. Without a shadow of a doubt, that guy just absolutely blew my mind of what was possible and what you could actually achieve, not just within the realm of WWE wrestling, but within wrestling as a as an entire entity, as a as an art form. More as a human being, Danny, you're uh, you seem quite theatrical as a person and I don't mean that in an offensive way I mean that in a good way like you're you come across as very nice you you've got this sort of uh, very endearing character when the stuff that you've done in the ring whether it be wrestling related MC related or referee related always seem to have got onto it pretty quick with the facial expressions and the timing and that sort of stuff where does that come from have you got a sort of background in entertainment or any kind of like any kind of affinity for the arts 
Yeah, ab- absolutely. My my first love in life really is, is is performance. It's being able to take people out of the realm of reality, take them on a journey and talk to people through a story. I've been doing performing arts since I was eight years old. It's my life's purpose to to go out and entertain people. That's for me, there's no other higher honor. There's no other kind of distraction within my life that I want to do more than go out and entertain people. I've taken many different avenues. I've done the film style stuff. I've done loads and loads of live theatre productions. That's everything from singing and dancing and acting. And even down to at one point, I worked in Skegness. I worked as those characters that people get put inside of and then they go out on stage and they entertain the kids. I even did that literally the once. Like dress, dress as a bear or some shit. Yeah, precisely. I think I was a minion at one point that night. It's, uh, yeah, that, that was not the one for me, I should say. But... Oh, fuck. I've always imagined that to be one of the most fucking, not demeaning in any way, because at the end of the day, it's, you're still making people laugh, but you must have been sweating your fucking balls off in that oh. thing. It must have been, whenever I've been to Florida, I've seen those poor fuckers dressed as Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck, whatever. I thought, inside there, there's a man who wants to die. Is that the case? <laughs> yes, absolutely it was. Absolutely. That was, uh, to be fair, out of everything I've done performance-wise, there is only a few things I would say, yeah, I'm never doing that again. And that is yeah. number one on that list. Yeah, the second is porn. So what in your... Uh, <laughs> but also in your uh, so in your repertoire, so you say you've done stage production and things like that. Any plays or anything that, that I might know or the listeners might know, you know? Oh, goodness. I've done so, so many musicals. Musical theatre really was my gateway into the uh, into the performance realm. I could, I could literally sit here and list plays for hours on end. I've done Peter Pan as a pantomime. I've done... Annie, I've done Whistle Down the Wind, I've done, oh goodness, I was originally part of the first group in the UK to tour with the Glee production, which obviously if you remember a few years ago there was a production of Glee that used to be like this school club that would come together and they'd sing all these sort of songs from the 70s, 80s and put their kind of new twist to it. Yeah, uh, Glee was huge, I remember Glee. Fucking hell. Really, I've been around. Yeah, no, it's been great, to be fair. I do it all again in a heartbeat. It's just finding the opportunities to actually go out and perform for people now. It's obviously post-pandemic as well. It's been very difficult to pick up that side of the performance world work. It it tended to be if you was established before the pandemic, you'd survive throughout the pandemic and maybe get work during the pandemic. But it crushed the for better use of the word, the indie style sort of performance that's going on, really. It, the pandemic kind of crushed it, but it is starting to come back now. It's beginning I, Yeah, to- the pandemic screwed up a lot of things, obviously, with but the entertainments got hit the hardest because we were the last people to allow to go back to work, to so to speak, yeah. to go and entertain again. But this is what I love doing these podcasts because like, we found out on a few podcasts back that the bleeding Ollie Cole is a fucking master <laughs> fucking hitman martial artist. And now I've just found out that you're like Oliver Reed, been in more films and plays than fucking Pete McKellen. And it, it's so cool. I love finding out that, that shit like that because, again, it's so blatantly obvious in your when you're in the ring that, that you get the idea of the performing aspect of it. And that's the bit that's hardest because wrestling tends to attract... I don't know, misfits for one, but athletes or people who want to be 
athletes. I don't. I when I came into wrestling, me personally, I was drawn in by the more of the performance, crowd control type aspect, psychological aspect of the business than I was the physical part because I knew that would be my strength. Shawnee, when you came into wrestling, was it just the wrestling or was it the performance part of it, or were you just intrigued to see whether you could do it? Did you just like wrestling basically? I think it's a little bit of everything. Like Danny, I went through various different avenues to get where I was today. When I was younger, I used to like to do a little bit of acting and I was always not very athletic when I was younger. I picked that up a little bit later on in high school and stuff like that. But coming from a more musical background and being able to perform and get a reaction from a crowd, I think it was that thing mixed with the athleticism. I was like playing sports, football, basketball, all that sort of stuff. And wrestling just melded these two worlds together because you could go out there and show your sort of athleticism and just perform in front of these people and then get that reaction it was just it was all encompassing and I can imagine it's a similar thing to you Danny when the two worlds come together they seem like they should be so far apart you should sing glee club singing across the UK wrestling in the Westland Sports and Social Club but they do have similarities don't they can you tell us what you would see those similarities being it's really that crowd involvement it's that hearing their feedback live that's the biggest thrill that's the biggest thing in life really is that moment of are these people going to cheer me are they going to hate me are they going to accept me it's that thing of you have no control over it to a certain extent but they will happily share their reaction with you and the one thing i've found in wrestling is that if they don't like you they are more than happy to tell you that the audience really not so much the falling star audience that the audience that we have especially for west lynn is just so encompassing they're awesome people they really are they love what we're doing and it's just nice that we have a really nice place and a really good fan base to work with it's that moment of until you walk out there and do it you don't know what you're gonna get and it's just that kind of roll of the dice it's the thrill of actually being out there and getting people involved. And it, there's nothing makes me happier than seeing somebody go from, they walk in the building, they're not very happy, they've had a bad day at work, whatever it is. And then by the time they leave that building, they're smiling, they're happy. You've not just taken them on a journey through a story, you've taken them on a journey out of this, out of where they was to where they can now be. There's no higher honour in life than that. I'll tell you what I also like about wrestling, and this is where I think it's different to every other performance. And maybe, apart from maybe stand-up comedy, I think only stand-up comedians can identify with it. But you've done millions of plays, musicals, blah, blah, blah. You get given a script, you learn your lines, you learn your songs, you learn your cues, and as time goes on, you get better at performing it. And But you're reading someone else's words, you're singing someone else's songs, and you're, you're hitting your marks and you're making people laugh, but there's someone else's jokes unless you've written the play yourself. Do you know what I mean? But with yeah. wrestling, you really earn your fucking cheers and you earn your booze and you earn everything out there by physically, actively physically putting your body on a line to entertain these guys. And also a large amount of wrestling is improvisational it's not rehearsed in the traditional scheme of things so you really earn that round of applause so when you walk in the back and you're exhausted bashed up fucked up and if things have gone well there's no better feeling because you've literally risked your life for that performance if it's gone bad 
you feel terrible because you've risked your life for nothing. But there's no, I don't think there's any other performance art or endeavor. I mean, maybe in the circus, a trapeze artist or something like that. But again, they get to rehearse. They rehearse and do the same thing. And it might be amazing and they might be great at it, but they've trained and trained and they've rehearsed their routine for that year. And that's the routine they're going to use. As wrestlers, total improvisation all the time to try and again you say about the western sports and social club those fans are amazing but they come back every month to see what we're going to do next we can't spoon feed them the same shit and it's that live reaction that you're literally risking your life for that for that reaction that's what i think is just makes wrestling totally different from all the other arts really yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. It's like you say, when you walk out on stage and you've got a script, there is exceptions when you maybe look at things like Panto. But like you say, it, it is quite literally, you don't know what your reaction is going to be until you do what you're going to do. You don't know what they're going to do. You don't know how they're going to react. And that is such a kind of roller coaster of emotions, the nerves before you go out there and the thing of, oh, I don't know how they're going to react. I don't know whether they're going to like what we're doing or... It, it really is just that thrill of what happens. Do you know what I mean? What can we do out there to give them the best show we can give them? Really is. You spoke about the nerves of pre-show. Can you talk to the similarities that you might have had pre-going out and doing a glee show or a pantomime or a play versus being backstage at a wrestling show? Do they share commonalities or are they just totally different? So I started performance at a very young age. And the thing of most performances in terms of going out and singing a song or doing anything like that, it's very, I know my lines, I know what I've got, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. And you know what you're going to do, but there's still that nervous energy until you actually physically step out there. Whereas with wrestling, it really is that roller coaster of, like you said, I would say I'm more nervous when I'm going out to the ring to say, even refereeing, for example, that takes a lot of nerves before it's like, right, I can, I know what's going to happen there. I know that's coming. And sometimes you think, oh, is that where that's supposed to be? And was that music supposed to be played there? And that sort of thing. It really is that, that nerves of, you might think you know what's going to happen, but until it actually happens, you don't know. And it, it's that unpredictable nature that, if anything, like you say, it's similar, but there is definitely a big difference between going out and performing and knowing exactly what should happen and going out and performing and not knowing exactly what should happen, but having a rough idea of where things are going to go. It's a very different kind of nerves. It's a very different kind of energy before you go out there and checking yourself. There's a lot more physical side in the wrestling. As Jimmy just said, you're putting your life on the line. You are quite literally. Every time you step through that curtain and step through them ropes, you're one wrong move away from never being able to do this again. That That's a different kind of nerves to, oh no, I'd said the wrong line in a song it's a lot harder to contain it's also the thrill of it when it goes right and you get backstage and you're happy with it and the audience loved it and the guys you work with love working with it's so much more rewarding so to get to be a professional wrestler our fans know that you have to train and also our fans know that fall is star wrestling has a training academy so how did you find the training part of it what do you think of was it what you expected it to be so in terms of training, when I was younger, I used to train parkour on the weekends. I used to just go out with a bunch of mates and we'd learn how to hop this wall, learn how to front flip and just generally learn our bodies and how we move and how to control that that kind of energy. 
And a lot of wrestling is, it's really about control. It's even things like shoulder rolls, just moving around the ring if you need to do that. There's a large number of similarities there. So a few of the skills from parkour for me translated over to the wrestling. But then I look back at movement. I would say I picked up the movement and the ability to move and portray those emotions quite quickly. But then I look at things like, say, wrist locks and where to place my arm to apply pressure to their joints and things. And that blows my mind. That's something I've never really had any experience in. And it takes me a long time to really work out where do I need to put this and how do I need to grip my hand to to put that in and those kind of things. So there's, it's not just one aspect of training when you're training wrestling. There's so many aspects that you need to look it's not just this simple clear cut learn out learn a wrist lock cool that we've got the wrist locks in the bag or something like that it's very much you might be good at one particular thing you might be very good at say high flying and then you might struggle with say technical wrestling or your submission your ground base and all that kind of thing so it's not just one skill to learn when you're learning professional wrestling it's multiple skills combined it's very much a learning process. It's not something that you're going to pick up overnight because it's absolutely not. It's something that you really do have to not just learn and learn how to do these moves, but then you also need to look at other wrestling promotions and other companies and see how they not only do those moves, but then how they put them together. Not only how, but why they put them together. Why does, why does that work so well when paired with the next move? I think the thing that I think that obviously what I said earlier on with yourself, and again, I can only ever compare it to my training and my life because that's all I've ever, that's all I know. Nowadays is different and it's better in a lot of ways because we can get people like yourself who's, who's come from different sides of the realm, performing arts and stuff like that. And we can teach you the wrestling side of things without you having to engage in any kind of combat. We just, I can show you through my years of having the fuck beaten out of me, how to stage it, do it convincingly and make it work for your character and what you want to do. But that's because the world's changed even just in the, the 20 years when I started. So the actual combat aspect of it, I think that is the bit that you maybe find a little bit foreign to you because you don't come from a fighting background. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, precisely. It's that, it's the thing of, yeah, all right, get, getting hit with a forearm, it's not, necessarily about the pain it's how you deal with the pain it's how you take that and move forward it's very much about that kind of understanding what i think is amazing is when we see new people come through the falling star wrestling academy i think now of the importance of looking into somebody's background because as jimmy alluded to earlier on we're learning so much more about people that are coming through the academy from speaking to them on a podcast and it's almost like we we probably could have known what level you you could have got to how quickly knowing your background because if you said you've done parkour in the past and you've done dance and sing and performance and stuff, it makes sense that maybe you would probably take a, an extra step to get those wrist locks, to get the waist lock and the hammer lock and get that kind of technicality down. But then we contrast you with the likes of an Ollie Cole, who Jim alluded to being basically a Kung Fu master winning championships all over Europe and the UK. And he's going to be able to pick those things up super quick because he's done that throughout his entire childhood. But then when you switch it around and you go, oh, how's your performance going to be? He 
he's probably not going to be as good at performing as you are. Because I think of Furio, when we first started way back in the day, he was obviously a Kung Fu Karate master and he'd done parkour and stuff like that before. But then you think of him now, Furio is basically all character. But back then, he had to rely on those athletic abilities, the way he moved in the ring, and then he was able to develop that character. Does it make sense how I'm referring to these two, two sort of skills and how you came through the academy? Absolutely. I mean, like you just said, it's the difference between... I'm just trying to think of two good examples here, but we'll take AJ Styles as this the guy who understood wrestling. He got wrestling, and then as his career progressed, he started to understand the performance arts. And he started to he started to merge those two together. And that is what makes the all-round performer, the all-round wrestler, is when you not only understand one aspect of the wrestling, but all the aspects of the wrestling. And then you compare him to somebody who... Um, I would say if you're going to go for somebody that maybe had the performance down and then got the wrestling, I'd say maybe somebody like The Miz, maybe? Yes, yeah, that's a perfect example. Like you say, he come in it from the performance side and then learnt the wrestling. But then over the years, he's again, he's learned to become the full package wrestler of merging those two together. And it is really the difference between those two that kind of makes the journey of the professional wrestler. It's so crazy because it really has changed. And I, like I said, the, and this isn't me sounding like the grizzled old veteran because I do think it's better now. I think it's better to know what people's strengths are, obviously, before you really plough your investments. Because as me as a coach... It's amazing that I know all this stuff because I now I knew before, like we spoke before, but now I know actually quite in quite sufficient detail where your strengths lie. So I know what to focus on when I'm coaching you. So it's a more focused coaching. You know, I know we, we do classes as a group, but then when I do get that little bit of time with you or Furio does or whoever's coaching you, if they listen to this or if they get the information off of you, they know what they need to focus on to make you a better performer, a better wrestler, a better worker, and a better product. So it's, it's, there's no point in me telling you how to project. Do you know what I mean? Because you know what that is. You've been in theater. You've got a, a vague idea. The only thing that you've got maybe to learn how to do is learn how wrestlers project things rather than how would project something if you were in the chorus of fucking half a sixpence or something. But like <laughs> you, but they, but but it's still we still know you've got that stage presence but when it comes to you know, have you ever fucking been in a fucking brawl in a nightclub and smashed someone over the fucking face with a glass no i haven't he probably not he's not really a fighter so we'll teach him how to throw a good forearm and we'll teach him how to stand like a fighter and we'll teach him how to look like a fighter so that when he gets in the ring it's not like his little danny fear he's going to get his ass kicked it's like no here's his danny fear whatever character you want to be but the thing is even though and i'm sure we'll talk about it in detail even though our tag match with you and your tag team the bcb the boston college boys that tag match it was largely comedy and performance the match was half tailored around the fact that you guys wanted to do comedy you knew your strength was performance me and pvc don't mind doing whatever we don't care and it worked because we put our all into it but if me and pvc would have turned around and said no what we want to do is a really scientific tag match with lots of falsies and fucking blah 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 and bits and bobs it wouldn't have worked it wouldn't have played to your strengths and it would have been a pointless endeavor because it wouldn't have got you over because you're you haven't got those those strengths yet do you know what i mean but i know you guys can act you you can act your ass off so let's have a match where you know me to be honest here me and shawnee are probably the least experienced at acting out of you two we just know how to structure a match and structure things so that it works but 
I knew that you came from a performing background. So then we worked your strengths and that's our job as a tag team to work with other tag teams who aren't as experienced and get them comfortable with the ring and, and try and get them over and make them a little bit worth a little bit more than they were before they went in the ring with us that's our job at the moment at some point you're going to wrestle a team that are incredibly scientific and won't really want to do your style and you are going to have to adapt to them a bit so you do need to know it all it's just a case of you don't need to know it all yet. It's, it takes time. So there was a, about a million and one points I made there. But if you care to pick one up <laughs> and uh, elaborate on it, that might make this rant somewhat of a less pointless endeavor. No, I, I totally understand what you're saying. When you work with somebody, you're always going to want to work to that person's strengths, to want to give the audience the best show you can give them. You want to go out there and do the best you can do. Our idea was this kind of... To, to come into the wrestling world as these characters, and like I say, we're not the stereotypical wrestlers. We're not particularly massively built. We're not we're not those guys that you would expect to see step through the curtain and, and become wrestlers. We wanted to tell that story and show people in experience with what we was doing because it, it's, it's very much a true story. And again, we're just playing on that and we're going to go on this road and lay breadcrumbs for the audience to digest. These guys are going to... Our plan, hopefully, is when we do eventually get the idea of wrestling and understand how to wrestle and how to do these things to that higher level, we want to be able to tell that story of we went from there to there. We want the audience to be able to see where we come from and where we're going. The audience can see your growth as a tag team. Like When you get that sympathy... And because eventually at some point you've got to get some sympathy. So yeah. you're going to have to have the shit kicked out of you and you're going to have to make a fiery comeback at some point. And, and that's going to show the crowd, fuck me, they, they muck about them. They can wrestle and there'll be a turning point. And like you said, there's nothing that invests an audience more than actually going on a journey with you. And with our fans, they have that opportunity because they get to see all of our shows because they're in quite close proximity. So they get to see your growth as a team. When you go out on the circuit, and if you go out on the circuit and you wrestle at other guys, you're going to have to get your team over very fucking quickly and work out how to do that. But by that point, you'll have more of an idea of what your team is and what your strengths are, whether you're going to go for pure comedy, so you'd have your routines, or whether you're going to go for a bit of comedy and then start to fire up again. But these are things that you're going to learn over the coming months, whatever, over next year, 2023, at Falling Star Wrestling. And then you can take your act, which is going to be a bit more well-honed, and away you go. So speaking about that match, for those listeners out there who don't know what we're talking about, the match that we had, it was the Disaster Artist, myself and Jimmy Starr versus the Boston College Boys, which is yourself, Danny Fear, and your tag team partner, Toby Lyons there. Can you take us through that match, not putting Jimmy and I over too much, but your sort of thoughts and feelings about being in the ring beforehand and afterwards, please? Yeah, absolutely. We had an idea going into, into that match. Myself and Toby had this kind of, this idea of, we want to show the audience that we're green. We're not veterans yet. We get a little bit of wrestling we understand a little bit of it but not there yet that was always the intention and i mean with you two sort of guiding us of how to structure it and how to build those things that's really what kind of got us through that match of we we had this idea and that idea we had x y and z and then for us especially it was a big move of learning how to do those things and where to put them and how to structure them. It was a big day for us. We'd spent 
the night before really planning out and even a corny thing here. But we'd spent the night before literally working out how we was going to do our entrance. Okay, how are we going to translate to this story of what we're trying to get over and who we are and how we're going to do it kind of thing. But yeah, it was one heck of a match, obviously. I think the Falling Star Wrestling audience really did enjoy what we did that night. There was a lot of things that people keep mentioning to me, in particular the kids, bless them. They're all liking the grab hold of the leg and <laughs> hang on to the life approach. But yeah, we, again, we, it's now learning how to take those things and evolve them into the next step for us. It's taking those ideas and making them better. Every time we go out there, we've got to get that little bit better. Because the grabbing of the leg thing, that was a spot that we came up with before the match. Obviously, you didn't know that you were going to do that spot beforehand. You and Toby were planning it the night before. How did that kind of differ from your expectations beforehand? You were sitting there planning your entrance to then when, after we'd planned the match and then you were, your music was hitting and you were ready to go. What, what was the difference between those two? Did you, your expectations of the match and how it actually came out? In terms of expectations, I know in the very early stage, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put it down to nerves of going out there. I know I had a couple of moves with you that didn't go precisely to plan. I, I didn't quite get the lock in on a few things on the uh, crucifix pin as well. It was one or two things, and I think really once both myself and Toby had not relaxed but relaxed into the situation, we understood where we it started going out smoothly. Obviously, we knew we wanted to go out there and make people laugh with what we was trying to do. But like you said, with your guys' guidance and putting in those little extra bits of, like you said, the legs and things like that, and just putting those bits in together, it really was a marriage of everyone's ideas. Four of us on that day just coming together and putting this picture together. But yeah, it, honestly, it was a great experience. I can't thank both of you two enough for it. I really can't. It was so much fun. I know our audience as well on, on BCB The Shed on YouTube, they also really enjoyed it. We got a lot of positive feedback on there as well. Yeah, it was nice that we all went in there, myself and Toby with an idea, and you guys obviously put into that idea with us and gave us those extra bits that we needed to put it together and put it into a match. Yeah, it came out so well. I really couldn't be happier with it as as far as the debut goes. It's, for me, perfect case scenario, really. Uh, do, do you know what? It's one of those things. It's odd, actually, because this just goes to show in wrestling that you, that you never stop learning because what you just said there, like, that match live, I could imagine, was great to, to watch. And, and it was funny. And obviously, the timing was there. The performance was there. It was quite well structured. Nothing really went wrong. I know you said a few things went wrong. But again, none of that really matters. Only important things that went wrong. I mean, if you haven't got your leg hooked for a crucifix, as long as no one gets injured, it doesn't fucking matter. As long as it looks like a pin. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't really matter. Like you said, you're meant to be green, so you're not meant to be locking in beautiful cru crucifixes. When I watched the match, I didn't think of anything looked like it went particularly wrong. I thought, actually, at one point, you got your tooth knocked out because when <laughs> Shawnee kicked you in the face, did you spit out some gum or something? Because it looked like your fucking tooth had fallen out. I don't actually know what it was that came out of my mouth. But I, <laughs> again, I, I edited that video and at the, I didn't even know at the time that I'd done that. 
Did but, you see uh, what I mean, though? Something fucking white flew out your mouth, and it was solid. It wasn't like gob or anything. It was solid. That's, I thought. I honestly thought he kicked your fucking tooth out. I thought, oh, here we go. Nice little comedy match, and surely booted Danny's tooth, tooth out of his fucking. But either or whatever it was, the I thought the match was. It was fun. Fuck, I just I love all that sort of shit. Less is more to me. The performance, the story, the whatever. You get over more. We have a laugh. It all, all that all that sort of shit to me is what I consider to my job and mine and Shawnee's job at the moment when we're wrestling less experienced guys is just to try and get their character over and I think we did. But what I didn't don't didn't think that match would ever do would be translate well on video. It's not the sort of match that you'd want to show Jim Cornette if you were being picked for a WWE draft or something like that because again a lot of it was a fuck around and a total expose of the business but <laughs> I don't mind that in, in halls like that because that's your that's the sort of route you're going down the comedy route and if you're doing comedy you do routine but what but people actually you, you've got good feedback from people who've just purely v- viewed that on video is that what yeah, you're saying but a lot of the people I work with they was asking me about it I said it's available here and again Robbie Lewis has also got a channel as well he also uploads all the matches for us as well so again just pushing people towards the company so they can start getting invested in it everybody said to me when i first started wrestling they all looked at me and went you're mad you're four foot nothing and and structured like a beam pole is yes but there's a way of doing that and making it translate and that really is the beauty of wrestling is that you can do literally anything within those four ropes you can do anything you need to tell that story and that's such a pardon the pun here but limitless feeling it's it's nice that you can have that opportunity to do it It really was a heck of an experience it's been a dream of mine for years now to be able to get in there and do that and people were coming to me going that was not what i was expecting at all and it was like good because that kind of removed your expectations for anything going forward you're never gonna know what you're gonna see from us never gonna see what's gonna happen before it happens because that wrestling is very much about that kind of surprise factor you think back to the most memorable moments in wrestling in general and they're not necessarily moves they're not this crazy double hurricane runner off the top rope it's the storytelling it's the moments like the Ric Flair retirement match with Shawn Michaels. And it's those moments that stand out in people's minds. It's that that really translates to an audience. It's yeah, yeah, it's, it's ne- yeah, it's never, they never remember a move. They remember a feeling. And they, like you say, they remember, they remember fucking Macho Man hoisted Miss Elizabeth over his, on his shoulder after they made up fucking and we're about to get married it's fucking it's hulk hogan slabbing andre the giant and the feet yeah. the massive roar afterwards it's hulk hogan staring down the art that warrior for me as a kid it wasn't them doing anything necessarily other than just being there and looking impressive and fucking just the storytelling going up to it i can't speak for shawnee i'm just sure shawnee will, will comment in, in a second but for me that match was it was just as new for us because we we don't me and shawnee will come out and cut a bit of a comedy promo and we're not like an uber serious tag team but when it comes to our matches rooted in, in wrestling once we get going we wrestle or surely does and i clap on the apron and do the best <laughs> i can and sell and sell a little bit and do it and do a cut but like in in general our matches are based around the, a story with wrestling in it but the, the, that match was fun for us as well because we got to 
think outside the box and learning experience for me what's going to get one of the best pops on the show a little man hanging on a big man's leg for around about five minutes me trying to shake him off like he's a fucking dog humping my leg just shit like that it's fun and as long as you milk it it'll work but you have to be invested in it otherwise it ain't going to get over like we were second we weren't main event that match was never going to be a main event match we were the fucking light relief after I think a blaster of a first match the place was full with people we knew and yeah just go out there and see if we can make them laugh and that that was that was the aim and for like myself and Sean who don't normally do that kind of match it was sort of a bit of a first rush really Sean wasn't it yeah, I really enjoyed that match because it was all about the character. It wasn't necessarily about just going out there and doing comedy. And when Jim said that we were going to work you guys, I was like, okay, it's another couple that we're going to go in the ring there and take their wrestling virginity with, pardon the pun. And you never know how that's going to go. And you have to plan for all kind of all possible outcomes. And we've wrestled a lot of people who maybe they're they've got a bit more size on them or they look a bit more like physically intimidating and we have to play off of that. And that's sometimes a little bit more difficult. But when you said we just want to do funny skits, comedy and stuff like that, make it really lighthearted, it made things a lot easier for me because that is your character and we can work around your character. It wasn't as if we were going up against the NLP and then just being like, should we do a comedy match? Because it wouldn't have really fit the rivalry that we have with the NLP. It doesn't fit their characters. I'm sure they could do it because they're very talented guys, but that is not their character. So for you to come in and that be your character, and I'm assuming going forward, the Boston College boys are going to be that. You're not just going to turn around and be like, ah, now we're going to do high flying next week, or now nah, next time we're going to do hardcore wrestling. I assume this is how you're going to progress through the world of falling style wrestling. And that was just the enjoyable part for me, knowing that we're going to be able to contribute to your character. It's not, we're going to go out there and just have a match and get you through the match yes we did do that at certain points but we wanted to lift you up in terms of your whole package and your whole character and I think that was the more enjoyable part for me because if you did turn out and said actually we want to be like the Hardy Boys we would have been able to have worked on that as well and that would have been enjoyable but it's just the fact that you said comedy is the thing we want to do we want to make people laugh and it's okay I'm sure we can do that Jimmy and I are talented enough to hopefully be able to pull that off and get you guys through the match plus also get your characters over and get the name of the Boston College Boys into sort of the zeitgeist of Falling Star Wrestling and just mentioning that name the Boston College Boys is your tag team but there's more more to the BCB, right, Danny? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, obviously, Boston College boys, and the reason we're called that is simply because that's how we met. We met in college. There's more of us than just myself and Toby, but we're a group that kind of formed during those 16, 17, 18 years old. We, we just hung out as friends. We was always together, and we met through performing arts. We've done loads and loads of shows together in our co- college years even, sorry. But yeah, no, we did that and we we realised, in particular when I moved to London to pursue performing arts further into drama schools and things, I realised, you know, that, and honestly, it's, it's the true value of friendship, is that we're not just a tag team because we're two guys who started at the same time, we've been thrown together. We really have been friends for near on a decade at this point. We're, we know each other so well and eventually we all sat together one day, the five, six of us that there are, And we sat down and we said, we've had this amazing friendship for years. We've done all these different things. We've had boxing matches against each other. We've done all sorts of different things. Why don't we come together with the basis of performing arts and create 
something together. And we did. And uh, we created a YouTube channel called BCB The Shed. We've been doing that now for three years. And uh, yeah, we've been gradually honing our skills because a lot of us started in in live performance. We're now trying to translate that into a media presence. We're trying to move on to the online medium and tell stories through through multiple episodes and series. And we also do our own podcast as well, which Jimmy has also been on. And I'm sure we will have you on as well soon, very soon there, surely. We've been doing it for a long time. We're, we're just a group of friends, really. And we just realized we've got this thing we're always together. It's through genuine, honest means and everything we've ever produced as BCB The Shed has been genuine. We've not really had to fake anything or force anything to happen. It's it's just been, let's sit down around a table, let's create these ideas and do these different things. And we've always said, best case scenario, we make a platform that we could eventually one day make a living from. We can do these things and they'll provide for us. But the worst case scenario is in a few years time when we're all grown up, married with kids, we can turn around to our children and go, hey, yo, these were my friends when I was growing up and this is what we did. So we've always just had that idea of it's genuine, it's real, we are who we are and we're all different in different ways, but it's such a unity project in BCB The Shed is that we all come together and we're all this equal part of this thing that's bigger than just one of us. We're all in it together. So in terms of obviously you've got the BCB, you've got your unit of friends, and this is a really a really cool story of how you got together and what you're trying to accomplish as a group. Where do you see wrestling in your in 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 your future? Is it something that you want to pursue, you know, even further to see how far you can get with it, or is it just something that you're that you're adding onto the sort of list of things that you've done in the world of performing arts? It's it's a little bit of both, again, in a funny kind of way. It is the thing of, me and Toby have had this discussion and we've said, let's say in two, three years time when we first started, what do we want out of this? And we both agreed that we don't particularly want the big league of wrestling. We don't want the WWE, AEW, New Japan stuff. We like having that small homegrown audience. We like the UK independent scene. We like, we in an ideal world with wrestling, we would like to one day be like you say, touring the UK and meeting all these people and meeting all these guys who are also in the same field as us and just talking and, again, really just seeing where it goes. We, we don't really place too much expectation on ourselves of, oh, this is what we want to do and I want to be there in three to five years or anything like that. We just went, yeah, let's see where it goes. If um, And don't get me wrong, if WWE, AEW, New Japan, whatever, did one day turn around and go, hey, we want to book you on a show, we're never going to say no to that. That is one hell of an opportunity, one thing to say, yeah, I've been there and I've done that. But it's it's just the thing of we all have the same outlook in that we just want to entertain people. We understand what life can bring about troubles. We've, we've seen hard times together. We, And that's what makes the bond of friendship between all of us. We've helped each other out at different times. All of us have had our ups, all of us have had our downs. And no matter what has happened throughout that time, we've always been there for one another, with one another, regardless of what it was and how it happened, or if, even if it was one or two of us that was playing each other a false. It was just the thing of, let's see how far we can take this train. It was just how far can we go and how can we support one another? No matter what happens, we know that our group of friends, we're going to be there with one another, supporting one another. 
if the opportunity comes, we're going to take it. Not, we're not out there trying to force our way into it. But at the same time, we're, we're never going to say no to things. We're very open-minded and we like to challenge ourselves, really. So you've got yourself a kind of a little bit more of a fluid lookout to how you see professional wrestling and especially falling star wrestling. You're open to ideas, but you want it self-contained within the world of falling star wrestling unless other opportunities come along. I guess the same with your YouTube channel and things like that. It's a case of we're going to do it because we enjoy it and we love it. But if anything else pops up, yeah, we're going to snap your hands off. Precisely. Yeah. Like you say, and again, falling star wrestling for us was just the perfect place for us to be. It really is like the company itself and the guys involved. I know there's a lot of guys who are also on the show who listen to it, but they're just an awesome bunch of guys. And it's nice that we've found this place. And yeah, going forward, without a doubt, our main focus within wrestling will always be falling star wrestling that that's our that's as far as we see it that's our promotion that's our home that's where we learn our craft that's where we get good at what we want to do we love falling star wrestling the guys in the back are awesome they're just an awesome group of people even if they're not necessarily from our academy even the guys we have on the show some guys come down from london Obviously, Tommy and Callie, they're just awesome guys. Nice to be around. We're learning so much from just being around these people that it's perfect for us. We're just loving learning and growing with it and just seeing how far we can take it. I think I, I, just one comment to make and then a question, actually. But I think that what you were talking about with your friendship in terms of the BCV, the Boston College Boys and the, your group and, and whatnot, it sounds very similar to the sort of the fraternity of uh, the, the brotherhood of a wrestling locker room. Do you know what I mean? Like you're having to trust people with your life and you're having to go out there and obviously you've got a job to do and it needs to be done, but it's not people you, this is a little bit different in the sense that sometimes you're forced to work people that you might not particularly like, but you still have to trust them with your life. And that's a very odd thing because you don't necessarily, it's not the sort of person you'd necessarily have a pint with, but you have to trust them with your life. Luckily with Fallen Star Wrestling, we seem to have adopted the sense in actually we want a friendly dressing room where, okay, it's, it's, it's a bunch of lads and girls and whatnot. And we're all going to have a laugh and rib each other, but we genuinely care for each other. And we obviously genuinely like each other respect each other and above and beyond anything we want to look after each other's bodies and entertain that crowd the values that you've got from the bcb will obviously translate well to to a wrestling locker room now just a question a question i've got for you you were obviously a part of the eye of the tiger show which is falling star wrestling's biggest show today the most lavish probably the best matches we've had the biggest audience all the bells and whistles and you refed the main event of, of that show and actually i personally think you added quite a lot to it now that experience is about as big as fallen star wrestling at the moment can get and has got and we will get bigger because the only way is up of course because especially when you put on shows like that when you were involved in that show involved in that moment immersed in that match how did that feel what did you gain from that experience absolutely i loved every second of that match and i know we we briefly spoke about it as well on on the bcb podcast with jimmy we like i said the thing was with that match it was such an elite level performance from both of them. They really did just both put in Callie Gray and Matt Walters, the Dark Wolf. They just put in an incredible show. And I didn't actually go into that that match knowing what they was going to do. Every move they made, I was watching in awe. It was just the thing of, wow, that's so clever of not only did they build the spots and build for these massive payoffs, 
but I could begin to see how they was putting these bits together. The tease of the Death Valley driver, that it was such an incredible experience. And again, those two guys went out there and absolutely smashed it. They really did have one hell of a match. It was very much watching how they did that and then told that story to that audience and how they translated what they was doing and how that audience would perceive it. The one moment in my head that will forever stand out was the Death Valley driver off the top ring post, if you will. I knew it wasn't the finish, but I also knew as soon as he hit that, the audience kind of went silent. There was all the heels going to win here. And as soon as Cali lifted his shoulder off the mat, they that place absolutely erupted. They'd worked the audience into this almost choir-like state of that conducted them into that moment and it was so well put together of the building in the year of these two having faced each other before and then they get to this stage where they realize number one contender and champion and sorry not champion it was both number one contenders but yeah it was just the moment of them two actually physically coming together having had the history and quite frankly that the experience that they both bring to the table how they put it together was just incredible for me. It really did open my eyes to this is how, when I understand wrestling on that deeper level and how to do those things, that's the kind of matches I want to bring to the table. Just going back to the refereeing thing there, obviously you've refed quite a few matches in Falling Star Wrestling now. Do you think that's helped you with your in-ring ability? Because we know you've got this background of acting, singing, dancing, parkour. You've got that kind of bit down, but like the psychology of being inside the ring and being in front of a crowd, your previous experience has obviously translated into the MC game because we know you're very good at that. You can don a suit, you can grab the microphone, you know how to whip up a crowd into a frenzy. But being a referee, how do you think that's helped you in your wrestling career so far? Like you say, the thing is with a referee, it's a third person in a match at all times. And it's the thing of sometimes you want to be invisible because you want the two guys in the ring to to really just have their shine and have their moment and have this the crowd just solely focused on them. But it really did, by, by being in there and being the referee in that situation, it's learning how just little things like when they roll out, when they roll out the ring and trying to keep that hype and that, that moment of the 10 count is again, another moment that always sticks in my mind of how to use those little things and simple storytelling devices, but they're so effective if performed well. It's so simple of you, you can get the biggest pop of the night and again, a bit of an AEW reference there. I mean, there was a match between MJF and Darby Allen where he said he would beat him with a side headlock takeover. And again, it was just masterful storytelling. He hits him with a diamond ring, puts him into the move, gets the one, two, three. But it was such a simple thing that you have to do. But it's so effective if you build it well. If you know what the moment's going to be, and how you're going to get to that moment. It's not about from A to Z. It's about from A to B to C and so on and so forth. And how you tell those little minor story beats. And again, with refereeing, you get to see when they're doing it. You get to see those moments of, okay, that's laying the seeds for something later. That's 
smart. That's what's keeping that audience invested. Most definitely. And like you say, that is refereeing really is a forgotten art. And when you said referee is the third person in the ring, when I was over in America, there were some really good referees and you would, they, you, they wouldn't be there. Then all of a sudden they would be there and they'd be calling stuff to you from something that the other wrestlers mentioned to them. And there'd really be a sort of handy third person to be around to get, to get information over to your opponent or to just to, like you say, to react to the moves you do. There's nothing worse than seeing a referee stone-faced and just yeah. counting to three. And, what you know, if, like you say, if something like a Death Valley driver off the top rope has happened, your face needs to fucking express how devastating that move was before you get on the floor and count to three. And when you yeah. count to three and Cali Gray lifts his shoulder up, your face needs to look fucking absolutely astonished that that's happened, but it has. And then you've got to show the crowd that's a two count and you've got to show the timekeeper that's a two count. All big theatrical stuff, all, like you said, all tiny little things, all matter so much in the arc of storytelling. Now, that Death Valley driver off the top rope, yeah, the two wrestlers have performed that. But with a referee, a good referee who will help get that particular moment over, if you haven't got it, if you haven't got that good referee, that moment isn't going to be anywhere near as good as it could potentially be. And you did ref that. There were a few bits in that match, and I said on your podcast, that whole 10 count where Matt and Callie did the spill over the top rope, and it was uncertain whether they were going to get back in for that 10 count. And you were doing the 10 count, and your face looked really fucking concerned. You knew you had to count 10 is there gonna, there's going to be no champion if there's a double count out blah 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 that's a story it's a false finish it's not with a pin it's with potential count out they're crawling back into the ring your fucking counts have got to be right they've got to be on the beat your acting's got to be spot on your projection's got to be right and that's what makes those moments like we were talking about earlier on that's what makes those moments rememberable and stick in people's heads if you don't have that basic knowledge of storytelling which you do have from your life in performance and theatre if you don't have that idea of performance then the moves mean nothing and that's why in wrestling I always say the moves are the tools that we use to tell our story and if you fucking if you pull out a hammer to bang a nail in brilliant you've pulled out the right tool for that job but if you pull out a fucking screwdriver it ain't gonna be the right move at the right time the right tool for the right job it just isn't gonna work having that third referee in there as almost an audience member as well as an official as well as that person in charge as well as that person reacting off what's going on and helping motivate that story along it's fucking vitally important and you get that which is fantastic because not a lot of referees do and also not a lot of referees realize that they're in charge do you know what i mean and they can actively be in charge if you want to you're the referee if you want to fuck our match up you're, you 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 can you're more than welcome to it's not this is the <laughs> thing about this is the thing about wrestling you can do whatever you want and a, a lot of referees have got to realize that actually they are in charge, essentially, both in a work way, but in a shoot way. You don't want to ruin people's matches. But if they do something stupid and blatantly do it in front of you, fucking give them a warning, disqualify them. It's up to you. Do you know, if they don't lift their shoulder off them at in time, tough tea. They should have done. Like, yeah, there is a certain there is a certain power in your hands as a referee that, that a lot of people don't realize. And sometimes I think when the referees try and work too much with the wrestlers rather than work for the story they're working for the spots again it doesn't work quite as well if that makes sense in any way shape or form absolutely one thing i'd say about being referee as well because i also refereed your uh, tlc match which again was incredible (laughs) but the thing was for me it's both 
an equally terrifying job because that, like you just said, there is so much power in your hands. It's something we never hope it does. But if something does go wrong, you're the guy who has to deal with that situation. You have to make the right call in that moment of what do you do in that moment? And it's very difficult to get that bit right. It's very difficult to, okay, something's gone awry. And there was a moment at Linsport with Tommy and Brett Semtex where obviously Tommy took one heck of a tumble to the outside. And again, it's that moment of, oh goodness, is he all right? It, there's even fans, which I find this amazing because there's obviously fans out there who have the understanding of wrestling and it is the storytelling. But even when something like that happens, you can hear a pin drop. You, you really can feel the audience and that the audience know in those moments, that's not what's supposed to have happened. Now, luckily, Tommy was absolutely fine. But again, it's that it's the thing of if he wasn't, you've got to make that call. You have to understand, you know, you, you have to put people's safety first as a referee. And it's very difficult to strike that balance of authority, but also you're a slave to the story, essentially. You're listening to what the story requires you to be. And are you a heel referee per se, or are you more a face referee? Obviously, we've got some competition with that Samuel Bloody Wakefield guy. And he's very much a heel referee and he can get away with turning a blind eye to things because it's within him as a person and what he would do in that situation. So it's very, it's very difficult to remain that third person in the ring and still telling that story with those competitors involved. It's a very stressful, very difficult job to get right. Just to address Samuel Bloody Whitefield is not a referee. He is a fucking turd. But yeah, <laughs> sorry, carry on. But yes, <laughs> yeah. Do you have a uh, preference as to the three different jobs you've done in Falling Star Wrestling? And we could probably talk about other jobs you may have done backstage as well. But the three jobs that the people that come to see the shows have seen you do, you've done the refereeing, you've done the emceeing, and you've also been a tag team wrestler. Which one has been your favourite thing so far? Oh, without a doubt, the actual wrestling within a wrestling ring is, without a doubt, the, again, highlight of my year so far. Absolutely, without a doubt. So much fun. If anybody is out there thinking, oh, do I, don't I, I'm a little bit on the fence of wrestling, I'm a little bit concerned, and it is dangerous. Absolutely, it's dangerous. But it is so much fun. It is so much fun to, to be able to go out there and just, take people on a ride. I take them on a story and show people this, have fun with your life. We only live one life. So go and enjoy it. It's so good to be able to do that. Again, I love emceeing. I love refereeing. I'm never going to say no to, to doing any of these things. Cause again, I love all of them really so much fun. And for me, especially, like I say, I'm very much a performance guy. I like going out there performing and entertaining people, but all three of them are incredible aspects of this business. And with, without, all three of those characters, more or less, the wrestler, the MC, the referee, the whole show wouldn't run equally as important as each other. They all have to be there to make it what it is. And it's just so much fun. Again, it's so much fun. And I couldn't recommend it enough to people. Push yourself out the comfort zone, have fun with it and go out there and brighten people's days up because not through selfish means, but you will always find yourself smiling if you have made somebody else smile. 
Yeah, most definitely. And there's so many different elements that make up a wrestling show, isn't there? You mentioned there, you got the MC, you got the referee, you got the wrestlers inside the ring as well. But you've also got people behind the scenes as well. And you've been doing some other bits for the Falling Star Wrestling social media channels. Is there something that you've been involved with that people might have seen if they follow us on social media, Danny? Yeah, absolutely. I I did do a couple of promos for Falling Star Wrestling ahead of our Eye of the Tiger event. I have to admit, this is one of my proudest pieces I've made to date as a video editor. I, I did make the Jaden Scar, Jack Landers pre-match promo, shall we say. And that was so much fun. Again, talking to both of them behind behind the scenes, if you will, just reiterating to them, okay, what what story are those guys telling and how much history is there? And it was just the thing of going back through what they've done and how they've done it and trying to put that into a promo was was definitely a challenge. And the music in particular really helped. It was a great experience. And yeah, I love doing it. And I hope in future I'm going to be doing some more of those for you guys as well. Yeah, I did also do a promo as well for it was Sean Stone and Alex Miller. I've got them up on front of me in here. But we did that as well. Again, finding out the story those guys are telling. But again, that was fairly coherent throughout the matches. And again, even through Jack Landers and Jaden, the story they were telling was very obvious. But if you can find those moments, those key moments in people's careers and marry it up into a promo package, all of a sudden these guys, this story comes to life. And it's like a film without a trailer. A film without a trailer, absolutely you know, absolutely nobody knows what to expect. And you might lose a few people here and there because they go, oh, I don't know what to expect. I'm not going to get my hypes up for it. But the second you put a promo out there, guys are going to look at it and go, oh, this looks interesting. I've got something I can sink my teeth into here. There's things going on. There's a meaning. There's a purpose to all of this. And it's, it's just great. Like I say, all aspects of performance, all aspects of wrestling, without one, they would all come tumbling down. And it's great that we have we have such a mix as well because there's a lot of guys in the Falling Star Wrestling media group, obviously. Dark Wolf, Matt Walters does a lot of things for media. And our wonderful photographer who amazes me. Every time those photos come out, I look at them and I go, he has put so much time and effort into making those the best they can be. And he always just seems to manage to just capture magical moments. He just He's got such a great knack for finding the right moment and where to take these pictures from and the angle and everything. Again, great working with those guys as well. And we're working together a little bit more now and looking at each other's work going, oh, that's cool. And again, even the poster for this for the Christmas bash is just incredible. It really is so creative. And these guys, again, as much as I love working with them, they inspire me. They really do. They inspire me to up the levels every time I do this I look around and I go okay this is the level I need to hit so let's move it up another one let's challenge ourselves and those guys are awesome those guys really are awesome the beautiful thing is with Falling Star Wrestling and and the talent that we've got the talent that that I've got as a sort of I don't know as the head of Falling Star Wrestling at my fingertips is just is, is so amazing. I love the fact that at this particular moment in Fallen Star Wrestling, we've never been better. We've never been better show-wise. We've never been better in terms of our look, our promotion, our posters, like you say, our media, our social media, our content output. This podcast has been a really big success. There's been so much that's happened over the past couple of years, post-COVID really, that has just that's really upped our game. And there's a few people that have really come into Fallen Star Wrestling that, that have 
help the product so much, even though I'm the head of Falling Star Wrestling, you, you could quite easily remove me and Falling Star Wrestling work like a like a, a well-oiled machine. I'm so fucking proud and pleased to be working with such talented people. And this is where I put you over, Danny, because you're still in the process of learning how to be a professional wrestler, but your talent absolutely radiates through you've used the word stories and performance and moments and things like that which which is so advanced for someone who's been in the wrestling business for as long as you have but not in in show business and and that's the thing about wrestling wrestling is a form of show business it's a very odd peculiar different form of show business but if you are involved in show business you do get the angle of what we're what we're trying to do but you're not only extremely talented as a performer you're also just a genuinely really fucking decent human being and in the wrestling world that isn't you don't see too many of those people i know i'm evil i'm a truly evil man and you're a really nice man and it's such a pleasure just to see you like when you walk in you fucking bring a positivity with you which is you just radiate and this isn't me coming on to you this is me just genuinely saying that i love having you about not just because you're a talent but you're such a fucking nice dude and and both of you and as a tag team you're gonna go far if because you've got the mind to be able to entertain the crowd and the crowd are going to want to see you more and you're going to become a commodity and fall in star wrestling within the next year or two that eventually we won't be able to do without i hope you stick with it i'm glad you enjoy it as much as you do because we at fallen star wrestling i think surely will echo the sentiments enjoy having you around as as much as we do and not just that you're out you, your dad turning up helping up with the lights helping out as much as he can all that sort of backstage stuff that no one really sees but again it takes everyone to make that show happen it's a package it's a fucking show and it doesn't work without extremely dedicated talented people and you're one of them and i really am pleased with how you're coming along just fucking stick at it and you will get to where you want to be you know wherever you want that journey to take you so you know thank you very much for being involved thank you no really thank you i appreciate that i really do it's like i say we the one thing i can promise you and i can always promise it we will never ever do anything by half we will give you 150 percent every step of the way it really will be everything we've got it that's how i just that's how i approach things it's everything or nothing i love it and i really the more i'm doing it the more i'm falling in love with it and that for me is nice i love doing that it's awesome that again i've found something that really ignites a spark in me and it's bringing out the best in me i'm loving doing it it's bringing me new challenges i feel like it's the right place for me to be right now it's bringing me a lot of growth and again i just hope i can return the favor to to falling star wrestling and bring that growth back into the company as well danny it's been absolutely amazing having you on the show i've got a question but first do you want to plug all your social medias and uh, let the people know where they can find the uh, the boston college boys online yeah absolutely absolutely so all of our stuff is, is listed so facebook instagram twitter we're all on there all the handles are the same it's at bcb the shed and of course on youtube just bcb the shed yeah i mean it, it's awesome being a part but yeah thank you and i've got one question do you think in 2023 we're gonna see danny fear in the middle of the ring 
giving us a show tune. Oh, absolutely. If that's what the people want, then absolutely. <laughs> and I've got, I got a question too. That porn film you made. <laughs> cut it, cut it, where cut I, it. Where do I find it? Whoa, 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 Jimmy. There's a limit to the depravity on this podcast and you're tiptoeing right on the line there, buddy. You need a five-minute timeout. While you sit there and think about your actions, this gives me time to thank each and every one of you for checking out the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast. Today, we appreciate you coming back each and every week to hear us chat about all things Falling Star Wrestling. If you want more, then you can find Falling Star Wrestling online and on social media. At Falling Star Wrestling is where it's at. We're there on Facebook and Instagram. Go over there and follow us for the latest lowdown on the company. If you're digging the Falling Star Wrestling podcast, please drop us a five-star review on your podcast player. We're on Apple and Google Podcasts, but it seems that Spotify is the player of choice for our Falling Star Wrestling fans. If that's you, then rate and follow for more. Don't forget about our final show of 2022. It's been a great year for Falling Star Wrestling. We've put on some amazing shows and showcased some incredible matches. We'd love for you to come down and see us one more time this year. Saturday, December 17th at the Westland Sports and Social Club, we are back for our seventh annual Christmas show. Already booked to wrestle are Jack Landers and Jaden Scar. Their story started many, many years ago, but another chapter is going to be written in their journal. Who's going to come out on top? We also have the Christmas Rumble. It's like looking in the mirror. That's the theme for the Over the Top Rope Rumble, but what does that mean? I, I don't even know. I guess we'll find out soon enough. Finally, if you like your matches hardcore and Christmas themed, well, you're in luck. The Disaster Artist will be bringing back the infamous Christmas Bash match. Anything goes, no rules, and all of the weapons have a Christmas theme to them. Last year, it was a super fun match. This year, we've got to top it. Can we? Join us on the 17th. Thanks to our guest today once again, and thank you to you as well. And we hope you'll join us next time for another edition of the Falling Star Wrestling Podcast. Bye-bye. Arse on the YouTube channel as well. That'll all be pictulated. All the good bits will be pictulated. When you get it, when you get it on Pornhub, I'll have a watch. <laughs> I'll let you know, mate. I'll send you the link. <laughs> anyway, don't, we won't say too much because PVC's mum's listening. <laughs> Sorry, it's not about me. It's fine. <laughs> oh, we won't mention your porn film, no. Uh, hey, well, Jimmy, my mum's listening. <laughs> oh, sorry, was... no, sorry, not that it's only softcore. Sorry, it is only softcore. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs>